Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? It is R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Me, your host, and your boy, Noah Petrie. This is episode 15 of the podcast, The Big 1-5. I'm going to be going over UFC Santos versus Hill in this episode, all the new MMA news slash drama, of course, and going over this week's fight card, which is Dominic Cruz against Cheeto Vera. Now, I am a little sick on this episode, unfortunately, fucking again, I got sick again. People just keep getting sick around me and hanging out with me and getting me sick. So now I'm at the stage where I'm like, yo, if you're sick or you're getting over a sickness or anything like that, or you're just recently been sick, stay away from me. I'm at that stage now because I'm just tired of getting sick, bro. I'm sick and fucking tired of getting sick. It's just annoying. It's, anno- it's just annoying. So, uh... <clears throat> Would this be would this podcast be the best podcast episode? Probably not, to be honest with you. I, I'm, this might not be the best, just to be straightforward. I am going through it right now. I'm sweating up a storm for no fucking reason because it's fucking hot in this apartment. Of course, when you're recording and you want everything to be perfectly silent, no windows can be open, you can't have the AC running, so you're just literally just sweating it out for an hour. And doing that while you're sick is just not fun. So, <clears throat> in short, I am tired of summer. I'm tired of being sick, and we're we're going to get through this one, guys. We're going to get through this one. But one thing that I want to announce that I want to start doing very, very, very soon um, is to do fan questions. So through fan questions, I'm going to send you guys out my email towards the end of the podcast when I do the rest of my handles as well. I'm going to let you guys know my email, and there you can email me directly on your fan question, and I would read who wanted the question in the next week's podcast and what the question was and i'll answer it so that's something that i want to start doing going forward now this is not going to happen not in this episode not in the next episode but very 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 soon so i've got to work out the logistics of that so that's something that you guys want to uh keep posted for every single week if you have a question you'll be able to submit it to me of course not now but that will be something going on very very soon but let's jump into the podcast here. And we have first coming up Alvi against Mike. I can't pronounce the dude's name, man. These Eastern European names, bro, they're just too much. They're too much. I can't do it. Too many letters everywhere. Pronunciation is crazy. Sorry, can't do it. So we have Michael against Sam Alvi. <clears throat> now, there's really not much to go over in this fight because this fight lasted only a minute or two. But there's one thing that's clear. Sam Alvey should not be fighting in UFC anymore. And it was a whole running joke on MMA Twitter and the MMA sphere that, you know, Sam Alvey is seven fights, has a seven fight losing streak, seven fight losing skid. And if he were to lose this one, it's going to be, you know, the longest losing streak in all of UFC history. He outbeat BJ Penn in that sense. But here's the thing. I understand why they kept BJ around a little bit longer because BJ is a beloved figure. He's in the Hall of Fame, one of the greatest lightweight champions to ever do it. One at welterweight, one at feather, uh, one at lightweight. Um, 
you know, beloved by everyone in the MMA community. He has his own freaking uh, website in regards to, you know, MMA news and that kind of shit, BJPenn.com. So it's like, of course he's beloved. So I can see why they would keep him around even though he was on a losing streak. And the same thing with Donald Cerrone. Yeah, Donald Cerrone is never champion, but he's beloved in MMA. Like, if you were to cut Donald Cerrone, it would be kind of an outcry even though he towards the end needed to be cut. And I'm happy he retired and he went out on his own terms. Win or lose, he went out on his own terms. And I respect that. But I can see why they didn't cut Cerrone as well, even though technically they should have. But when it comes to Sam Alvey, it's kind of an enigma because, like, he's not beloved in the MMA sphere. Not by any means, technically. You know, like, he's not... No one hates him. Um, he. Everyone says he's a very nice guy. He's always smiling. He's married to a model. Dude has, like, six fucking kids. Like, he's a nice guy. But... <clears throat> He's not beloved in MMA. He, he's not, you know, he wasn't a former champion. He never fought the best of the best. His fights are not always super exciting. Um, they're not bad, but, you know, it's not like he's like a Michael Chandler or anything like that. So it really never made any sense as to why the UFC kept him around for so long. But the UFC just decided to keep him around for some reason. And going to this fight... We all kind of expected Sam Alvey to lose, to be honest with you. Now, he did get his jaw broken in that fight, which is very unfortunate. It's going to have to be wired shut. He did get TKO finished. Now, he was losing his last fights because he wasn't getting TKO finished. So, that's something completely different. Once you start getting finished and brutally finished, it's definitely time for you to leave. Not just in the UFC, but maybe for MMA in, in general. But one thing I never liked either is that I never liked fighters bringing their kids to the events. I was never a fan of that. I was never, never a fan of that. For this instance, he brought all six of his kids to the event and he got finished. He got TKO'd and he got his jaw broken. And all his kids are very young. You know, they're all kids. So it's going to be very traumatizing for them. Like one thing that really comes to mind when I think of like the trauma that it can bring is like back in the day when Mark Coleman fought Fedor, Mark Coleman was a bloody mess and his daughters are in a ring with him and they're bawling. He's trying to calm down, but they're like fucking panicking and crying because their dad's a bloody mess like that's is not a fun sight to see so i never understood why fighters would bring their kids to the events now some kids are different some kids can handle it some kids can't but like i guarantee you not all six of your kids can handle it every single one of them probably not and they're all fairly young so if they're a teenager or they're an adult fine but like when it comes to little kids coming to mma events or their parents are fighting I was never a big fan of him, man. Especially when you see your your, your parent getting beat up like that. It's not cool. And it, it's going to affect their kids in some way, shape, or form. Then again, listen, I'm not a parent. So what the fuck do I know? But that's something that I probably wouldn't do if I was a fighter. But, um, dude, it, it's clear that Sam Alvey needs to get released from the UFC for, of course, the reputation of the UFC. And also for Sam Alvey, man. Like, you shouldn't be fighting this level of competition anymore. It's clear that you're not up this level of caliber to be fighting in the UFC. And it's time for you to go. It's just time for you to go. You're a great guy and everything, but I think it's time the UFC releases him. If the UFC doesn't release him, then that's just fucking weird. Because why are they keeping him around if that's the case? I don't, it really doesn't make any sense. Now I want to get into McKinney against Gonzalez. And, dude, McKinney's a real deal. He is the real deal. And I never, I, 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 I tend to not give these prospects praises. 
I tend to withheld it as long as possible because yeah, they may look good now and their level competition that they're fighting, but we got to see how they're going to compete against guys of the highest caliber. Um, we got to see once they get tested, how they're going to fare out. If they're finishing all their fights, what if they get into like a three round war with someone that they're not able to put away and that kind of stuff. So I'm always hesitant to give these prospects the praise. And dude, Mc Terrence McKinney is just all around good. He's just all around good. His striking is very good. He has a lot of power. He is high energy and explosive. He does have very good wrestling. His submission offense is very good as well. He's just a real deal, man. Now, the one thing that I think he can work on is his pace because he puts such a high pace. He's such high energy. He's like a Conor McGregor when it come out that first round, just guns blazing, ready to go, going to the center of the octagon and walking their opponent down. He's just, he's kind of the same way in that aspect. So it's really pacing himself out because win or lose his entire career, he never wants a decision. So whenever he's fighting, you know, it's kind of an easy day at the office for the judges and that and that you know in that fight because he knows it's not going to go. Um, the full distance, but he needs to really pace himself out because yes, he's putting away this caliber of fighters that he's fighting right now. But as you go to the higher ranks of that division, the lightweight divisions, the stack division, you're going to start coming across guys you're not going to be able to put away. And if you can't put them away in the first round and you have this kind of energy output, it's going to be hard for you to maintain that pace and have a good gas tank for the second and third, maybe even fourth and fifth round, which we haven't seen him. We haven't seen him how he performs in the second, third, fourth, or fifth round yet. So we don't know how his gas tank is. So that's the one thing I would say um, for him to possibly improve upon is maybe take it just a little bit slower. Granted, it's it's doing him justice now. He's putting everyone away in the first round, but eventually. You're going to find those guys in the upper echelons of the division that you can't put away that much. You can't put away like that. And if you're just training that gas tank with all that high energy in that first round, you're going to be shit out of luck if it's a five-round fight or maybe even towards the later ends of the third round. So I would, I would that's the one thing I, I have any criticism for him. But besides that, the dude has been, he's, he's looked amazing so far. Um... Uh, he called out Patty Pimblett after the fight. That's a terrible fight for Patty. They're not going to give that fight to Patty. I think Patty should be fighting someone like a Drew Dover. That's one person that's been circling around the MMA sphere right now as far as what what matchup makes sense. And that's the one that definitely makes sense. Um, Patty against McKinney, they're not going to do that to Patty. McKinney, I, I think it's just too much for Patty right now. But McKinney is the real deal. Now I want to get into Spivak against Sakai. Now I actually had money on Spivak in this fight. The reason is I knew he was going to shoot for a takedown. His wrestling is very good. He has improved his striking as of recently as well, but it's mostly his wrestling. That's his bread and butter. And I knew that Augustus Sakai just wasn't going to be able to effectively defend that wrestling. So I thought that Spivak was going to wrestle and grind out to the decision. He didn't grind out to the decision. He got the TKO victory. Um, and it played out exactly how we thought it was going to play out. Spivak right after the jump was able to take Sakai down without any you know resistance or problems at all now credit to Sakai because he never stayed on the ground 
he was always fighting for position. He was always fighting for position. He was always fighting to get back on his feet every single time he got taken down. He didn't just lay and have Spivak in his guard and just stay there contently. He was always trying to get the fight back on his feet. And for the most part, he was even though there was times where he was controlled on the ground for a little bit, towards the end of each round or towards the end of, you know, after a few minutes, he was able to get back on his feet every time. Granted, he would get taken down right after, but he, would, he was always fighting to get back on his feet, which is commendable and I respect him for it. Regarding the uh, the stoppage, I think the stoppage is correct. I don't think anyone is really arguing the stoppage, but that's the reason why I bet on Spivak, and he's now on the top 15 in the heavyweight division. Shout out to him. So I'm happy that he was able to, uh, to win me money there. Now we have Miller against Brogan. Now, I don't watch Tough. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't watch Tough. I never watched Tough because I never really liked Tough. And the reason why I never really liked Tough is because the whole, uh, the whole reality show aspect of it. And I understand when it first came out, reality shows were like, they, they were the craze at the time. Like, every, like it was the, the, the things that were hottest on TV at the time. There was reality shows everywhere. You know, so I can understand why they had that aspect of tough um, and capitalize on the reality show craze. And it, it, it was working very well um, <clears throat> until that craze kind of died down. No one really cared about that stuff anymore. But I never really liked reality TV, and that's the reason why I never liked tough. But, um, dude, Juliana Pena is apparently a very good coach, man, because her both her fighters won in the tough finale, she had two fighters in the uh, the heavyweight bout, Pagao and, and uh, Usman. So apparently, Pena is a fairly good coach. Granted, I don't watch tough, so who knows? But um, yeah, I think she she might have something there um, if she decides to retire MMA and you know decides to become a coach. But I, I personally, tough is back in the day when someone was an Ultimate Fighter winner. It actually meant something. It really meant something. You know, it, it had a prestige to it. Now it's like no one cares. Because literally no one cares. No one watches it anymore. Like every single time you hear someone talk about, oh, the last time they watched it was back when like Kimball, it, the Kimball Slice one, which was like 10 years ago. Some crazy shit like that. So it's like it, no one, it, does, it lost its prestige because no one cares about it anymore. So it... it it kind of sucks that, you know, they, they they fought so hard to win this prestige that for them it's, you know, noteworthy and a huge accomplishment. But in reality, it's like the whole fan base doesn't necessarily care about it anymore. And when you look at the whole uh, caliber of fighters coming out of tough as of recently, it's not the highest, man. It's really not the highest. Back in the day, in the last current years, all, you know, because a lot of main fighters nowadays are in the roster are tough winners. Usman's one of them. I think Leon Edwards is one of them. Forrest Griffin. The list just goes on and on and on. I'm not going to start listing them. But with the, with the invention of the Contender Series, that's where we see most of the high-level fighters coming out of now, the Contender Series. And honestly, if I'm a, if I'm a new fighter... I'm going to go in the contender series not tough because why am I going to sit there and fight five times in a row, none of it be technically a professional bout so it doesn't improve my record whatsoever to get the same 
contract I would get after winning the contender series and just fighting once. It doesn't make sense. Like if I'm, if I'm an upcoming fighter, obviously I'm going to choose a contender series over choosing tough. So it, Ultimate Fire just lost its prestige, and I think honestly it's a relic of the past and it should end. But that being said, going back to the Miller against Brogan fight, I was pretty surprised because Brogan seemed like she's the one who has more experience. Um, I would have figured her ground game would be better because she has that experience. Miller's only 3-1 and one in her professional career in MMA, which here's the thing, right? I'm not trying to knock Miller because Miller, at the end of the day, got the victory, was dominant in her performance. She completely controlled Brogan on the ground, ended up getting the TKO finish at the end of the third round. Brogan really had nothing for her on the field or on the ground at all. So Miller does have some promise. For someone who's 3-1, she does have some promise. She does have some talent. That is most definitely sure. That's a sure thing. Now, the thing is, you're 3-1 to UFC, though. 4-1, excuse me. You're 4-1 to UFC, though. The UFC is not a good place to develop in your MMA career or, you know, in your development game. Like, in, when we look at stars like... You know, Patty Pimblet, he was a double champ in Cage Wars for coming over here. So he had all the necessary experience. Um, like Terrence McKinney had the necessary experience coming in, coming into the UFC. A lot of these prospects have the necessary experience coming into the UFC because they fought multiple times in lower promotions. But to only fight five times, yeah, you won four out of the five, but to only fight five times and get into the UFC, dude, UFC is not a good place to develop, man. It's just not a good place to develop. The level of competition is very high. Usually what we see, the people who come into the UFC and try to develop their craft in the UFC, they don't really pan out very well. If I was Miller, if I was Miller's team, I probably would have had her go to like the PFL or Belts or maybe a small promotion like, you know, King of Cage and, and the promotions like that. Not necessarily the UFC, but not knocking her because she completely dominated that performance and um she has some promise especially in the flight with the vision that is fairly lackluster right now she does definitely have some promise then we have Usman against Pagal and this one is is pretty interesting because everyone kind of assumed I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing dude's name right everyone kind of assumed Pagal the win now he was a former um NFL player I forgot what team he played for what position he played for I really don't care about football he was a former LFL player. The dude was very athletic. He's fairly new to MMA as well. He does have more experience than Usman. All around, I would say he's a better fire than Usman. I think his striking is better. He's faster. He's definitely more athletic. I don't know if his wrestling's better. I think Usman has him on the wrestling department. But all around, definitely Pagal is the better of the two. But that being said, when it comes to heavyweights, man, it just takes one punch. It literally just takes one punch. And Usman was waiting for that left hand throughout the entire fight. Now, Fergal was definitely outlanding him in kicks, in punches. He does kind of like blitz in and out on the punches a little bit too much in a way, which a few times he did get caught. But Usman was just waiting for that left hand. And when he hit him with the left hand, dude, Fergal was out. He was completely out. He was out for a while too. Now, when it comes to Usman, one thing I want to see him work on a little bit more is the jab. Because every time he's every time it seems when he throws, it's just big looping punches, which you in in, in heavyweight you can kind of get away of you can kind of get away with because most of the guys in heavyweight are not necessarily that athletic. 
And you know, that technically sounds striking wise, like someone like a Serogon, but I would like him to utilize the jab just a little bit more, man. You can't just be throwing looping punches and expecting to get the knockout. Even though if you're going to do it in, in any division, the heavyweights, the division to go, maybe he should rely on his, his grappling and, and wrestling a little bit more. He does have some wrestling capability, not like his brother, but he, he does have that skill set there. Maybe he should rely on it a little bit more, especially in heavier where there's not many high-level wrestlers. But besides that, dude, he won. He got the, the, the knockout. I hope he got a bonus for him. Not sure if he did. And it, I know it, it had to be extremely hard for him because when your brother is one of the greatest fighters to ever live, definitely top 10, top 15 easily. When your brother's one of the greatest fighters to ever live, and you have these huge shoes to fill. And I know it comes with tremendous amount of pressure. And he he rose, man. He he definitely rose to the occasion. He was counted out for the most part. He was a huge underdog, and he got the, the KO victory. And I'm excited to see his development. I'm really excited to see his development. Now we have Luke against ne ne uh, Jeff Neal. And this is easily the best performance of Jeff Neal's entire career. Easily. 100% easily the best performance of his entire career. He has never looked better. <clears throat> and I think it's because before in the past, the one thing I was worried about in this fight is that Jeff Neal can kind of just get into a slugfest, man. He can kind of just get into a brawl. And if you're doing that against Luke, which that's kind of his bread and butter, you're going to get put away. So that was the one worry that I had for Jeff Neal coming into this fight. I honestly had this fight for Luke for that reason. Jeff Neal was coming off a layoff and... Uh, Luke has fought higher level competition. Luke has a granite chin. And I just thought Luke was going to be able to edge him out in this one. And dude, I was wrong, man. I was completely wrong. I was so wrong. Jeff Neal's game plan was flawless. It was so flawless. He did such a good job maintaining that range against Luke. He never gave Luke the real opportunity to close the distance. And every single time that Luke tried to close the distance, he would just get hit with that left hand. Back when 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 uh, Jeff Neal's back was towards the cage and, and getting close there, he would just hit Luke with the left hand, man. It was just rock him every single time. And if it wasn't that, he was circling out of that position. So he never really gave Luke the opportunity to effectively close that distance, especially in the first round, which... He rocked Luke. Now, the issue with that was after he rocked Luke, he went forward and tried to capitalize on the strike that just happened. He threw like nine left hooks, just straight, like nine left hooks, which not the smartest thing. Granted, he did use that same kind of tactic to finish the fight with like the freaking eight or nine uppercuts, left uppercuts, which actually worked out in his favor. But for the most part, if you're a rocker opponent, you really want to switch up the striking. You don't want to just throw the same strike over and over and over again, spamming it because your opponent is going to defend it and it's going to be able to effectively recover. Um, Luke just shelled up, man. Every single time he got hit, he just shelled up. He didn't have any head movement. Um, he didn't try to parry the strikes at all. At least he should have grappled in some degree when he was rocked to try to regain, you know, um, to regain his wits and his feet under him. But he didn't do that at all. He just shelled up, which is going to block some punches, but it's not going to block all, as we can see with all the uppercuts he got hit with towards the, that last round. But that was easily a, 
easily 10-9 round. Some people argue 10-8 for Jeff Neal that first round. I don't warrant it 10-8, to be honest with you. I think Luke was still in the fight, even though he got rocked towards the end of that round. But I, I think it was a 10-9. Solid 10-9. Definitely goes Jeff Neal. Now, the second round was a little different. Second round was a little different in that Luke started to gain momentum in that round. He was effectively using that right body kick. He was landing that right body kick left and right. And he was landing that left job, left jab fluently. So he was just constantly hitting Jeff Neal with that body kick, landing the left jab. He wasn't really throwing anything with authority or really trying to damage his opponent at all. He was just trying to touch his opponent. And Jeff Neal really wasn't throwing that much in that second round. So that second round definitely goes to Vicente Luque. So we had 1-1 going into the third. And at that point, Luke kind of steered away from the game plan and stopped utilizing body kicks and leg kicks um, and stopped utilizing that jab too. And it really just became a boxing match between both guys, which I just feel like Luke's distance was a little bit off. It just seemed like he wasn't, his distance management just didn't seem like it was all there at the time. Because he just seemed like he was a little bit too far back to land those strikes. And Jeff Neal, who has power, who has range, he was just lighting Luke up. Eventually, he rocks Luke. He hits him with freaking 8-9 uppercuts. And that was the end of the fight. Put him away. So definitely a super impressive performance from Jeff Neal. Definitely the best on his career. He called out um, Gilbert Burns afterwards. That fight's not going to happen. I think Jeff Neal jumps up what, like probably he was ranked 13th so he probably is ranked like ninth now somewhere around there i would say definitely within the top 10 deservingly so um but gilbert burns is what number three or four he's not fighting you uh shakov rachmanov did call out jeff neal as a terrible fight for jeff neal jeff neal should not take that fight at all um now some people are saying you know this is a new improved jeff neal i would wait on that just a little bit just because someone has a good performance doesn't mean that they're new and improved. You can still go back to your old habits. I would say let's see Jeff Neal's next fight. And if he does have performance like this, then this is a new improved Jeff Neal. But dude, he took time off. He took time off to figure out his shit and figure out life and he came back. And he's st- when you're young in your career, because he's only, what, 31? So when you're that young, I, I think more fighters should do this, man. I think more fighters should definitely do this. If you're in a little bit of a skid, you're not performing to your best, and you're still young in your career, bro, take a year off, figure your shit out, figure life out, get that passion, that motivation again, then come back. You know, don't just take fights constantly to, to, to try to, like, you know, numb the pain and, and try to get a win as quickly as possible because that's just going to lead you downhill. So there's nothing wrong with taking a year off, figuring this shit out, and coming back and looking better than ever. And then we have the main event, Santos against Hill. And I was completely shocked at Santos' game plan. I was shocked, man. I wasn't expecting him to to grapple so much. I thought this was just going to be a standing affair the entire time. Which I had Hill winning this fight because I just think that Santos is just not the same fighter as before. If it was Hill in this prime against Santos in this prime, I think Santos would have easily won this fight. No offense to Hill. I think Santos would have clearly won the fight. Now, the issue is Santos is not in his prime. He has two bad legs. 
after the John Jones fight, he's just never been the same, man. That injury is a career-changing injury. And he had that injury in the very beginning of the fight and fought another 20 minutes afterwards. So, of course, that bill is going to be paid either way. So, it just affected his, it, it completely affected his career going forward. He's really just not the same fighter as before. His mobility is not the same. His striking is not the same. His fluidity is not the same. He's, he's a lot stiffer than before. He's just not the same fighter all around, man. He's just not. And it's so unfortunate to see. But I had Jamal Hill coming into this one. I thought this fight was going to go to decision. Because when you look at the Santos fights, the Rackets fight it was very close. Yeah, he got finished by Glover, but he did rock Glover. Um, the Ankaliyev fight, even though Ankaliyev, I think, won four out of the five rounds. But Ankaliyev didn't dominate him in that regard at all. Um, was fairly back and forth for the entire time. So I didn't expect Santos to get finished the way that he did. Now, the first two rounds were fairly close back and forth. I gave Jamal Hill those first two rounds. That third round, man, Santos was just wrestling his ass off, bro. He just, he, he became Khabib. He literally just became Khabib. <laughs> and just nonstop spamming those takedowns. Which Santos is not known for his takedowns. He's not known for his wrestling capabilities. So you have someone who has that much muscle and mass. So he has that much muscle and mass. He has very bad legs. And he's not he doesn't have that wrestling prowess. His body's not used to wrestling. Because there are different kind of cardios. Not all cardio is the same. Your body can be built for striking cardio, but when it comes to wrestling cardio, you gas out easy. Or your body can be built for wrestling cardio, but when it comes to striking, you gas out easy. So, when it, especially when it comes to wrestling, dude, it drains you out. So, on top of having all that body mass, all that muscle, very bad legs, and your body not being used to wrestling, you're just going to burn yourself out quickly. And I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, he was able to take Hill down a few times. Hill was able to get back on his feet right away. Um, a, a, a huge concern of mine going into this fight was, or just Hill in general, was how good is his takedown defense? How good is his grappling? Because Paul Craig, pull guard, was able to get Hill on the ground very easy and sink in submission and win. Granted, Paul Paul Craig is a, a fucking anomaly in that division in that, you know, his, his, his grappling and his submission offense is just leagues above most people in that division so i can't really knock jamal hill that much in that regard for that loss but my thing was how good is his grappling how good is his defensive wrestling um how how good is his mission defense <clears throat> now i didn't expect to see any of that in display in this fight his takedown defense is not terrible it could definitely be better but his scrambling is pretty good his scrambling is definitely pretty good because every single time Santos was able to take him to the ground, he just sprung right back up. So even though his takedown defense could lose a little work, his scrambling make more than makes up for it. Now that is Diago, that's Thiago Santos, you know, wrestling you. We don't know how it would be if he's wrestling against someone like an Ankalaev or a high level wrestler, another high level wrestler in the division. So that's something that we still have to see, and that's something that's still up in the air. But <clears throat> From from uh, his 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 scrambling and his takedown defense from against Diago Santos wasn't looking too bad, so uh, that's something that I'm happy I was able to see. But 
Thiago Santos, man, he was just trying to take Jamal Hill down every single time. Jamal Hill would just bounce back up. Eventually, you have to realize that, dude, you have to have the mental wherewithal to realize if you're trying to take your opponent down over and over and over again and you're not a wrestler and they're just springing back up to their feet, dude, get away from that game plan, man, because clearly it's not working. Clearly, it's just not working. And granted, when you're defending takedowns, it takes a lot out of you too. That drains your gas tank as well. But if your body's not used to trying to get takedowns, then that's gonna drain your gas tank as well. So I don't think I don't think this was the best game plan for Thiago Santos. I think Thiago Santos would have had better luck if he just kept it on the feet. And possibly utilize some um, more counter striking. Now he was throwing, you know, when they were on the feet, both of them were just throwing bombs. Uh, Diogo Santos landed some good strikes, some good right hands against Jamal Hill, and Jamal Hill was kept going forward. So it's clear that Jamal Hill still has has a fairly good chin as well. Um, but in that fourth round, dude, Diogo Santos was just tired. He was just simply tired, man. He looked drained and exhausted. And I think that's what really, really got Jamal Hill to get that TKO finish. I don't think Jamal Hill would have probably got that TKO finish if Diago Santos wasn't grappling that third and that fourth round. Because uh, Diago Santos, we've seen him go five rounds on two bad legs and still have great cardio. So I just think that he would have had an overall better performance. I still think he would have lost, but I think he would have overall better performance if he didn't try to utilize that much grappling. But Jamal Hill's a real deal, man. He's a real deal. A lot of people are saying what's next with Jamal Hill. Some people are saying he should be fighting, you know, like a Dominic, uh, Dominic Reyes. I don't like that fight because Dominic Reyes is coming off of a loss. Two losses at that. You know, at least Dominic Reyes alone. Technically three losses. Let's be honest here. John Jones. So I think, you know, we should have Dominic Reyes against Thiago Santos. Both men are coming off losses, so that one of them needs to win. So that the one that makes that makes more sense. Have Jamal Hill fight someone like Osamir, whose striking is phenomenally good in that division as well. And we know that that fight, there will be no grappling in that fight whatsoever. So I think that should be the next fight going forward for Jamal Hill. But Jamal Hill looked good tonight, man. He looked very good tonight. He could definitely be a contender in this division. I don't know if he ever win the belt, but I know that he can definitely be a contender. And I'm I'm fairly positive one day he will be fighting for a belt. Now I want to get into MMA news slash drama. And Anasanya says he can't wait to slam Pereira. Promises a knockout. Here's the thing, right? <clears throat> I don't see Anasanya grappling in this fight at all. I just don't see it. Honestly, I wouldn't I don't think it's a very smart game plan because Anasanya's striking is more suited to MMA than it was kickboxing because he has a very wide stance and utilizes a lot of leg kicks at distance. And if he's able to effectively utilize that distance against Pereira who is striking is more suited to kickboxing, very close range, very tight. I think that Anasanya have a good time striking against Pereira. Now, when you start grappling, 
Adesanya is not known for his grappling. So that can be draining his gas tank if he's not able to take Pereira down, which I'm sure he'll be able to take Pereira down. I'm not sure if he would hold him down because we don't know how good Adesanya's grappling is. And honestly, I'm assuming it's just not that good, to be honest with you. I'm, I don't think his grappling is that great. I think maybe he could skate and get by with it, but I don't think it's... I don't think his takedown offense is is, is, is like Khabib whatsoever, you know? Because the man's bread and butter is uh is most definitely striking. Um, so I, I don't think that's a smart gameplay for him going forward. Grappling, draining his gas tank. I don't know if he'll be able to take Pereira down. I don't know if he'll be able to hold Pereira. And on top of that, once you get to that clinch range and that grappling range, and you're not able to take your opponent down, now you're in Pereira's range. Now he can land that big left hand on you. And if he was able to knock you out in the past of it with 16-ounce gloves, he'll be able to knock you out now with 4-ounce gloves, MMA gloves. So I just don't think it's a smart game plan for him. So if I was on the side, I'd be like, yo, let's do away with the grappling. Only grappling if he has your back against the cage um, so that he's not able to land any effective, significant strikes. But promising a knockout, here's the thing about Anasanya. Here's the thing about Anasanya. People shit on Anasanya because he talks so much crap and he has these promises. He always promises that he's going to finish his opponent, that he's going to knock out his opponent, that he's going to embarrass his opponent. And he never does any of that. And that's the main knock on Anasanya. You can't sit there, talk shit, and make these promises that you're going to, you know, completely demolish your opponent, knock him out, embarrass him, and not do that. You can't do it. You can't do that, man. That's how you have the MMA community shitting on you because you're making these false promises. You're saying you're going to finish these guys and end up getting in boring decisions. And listen, I'm a fan of Anasanya fighting. I like seeing his technical prowess against his opponents. So I, 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 don't, I don't find his fights boring. I find his fights entertaining for a different factor than most casual fans would find entertaining. But that being said, you can't promise these things and not deliver them. Because then we have, now we can shit on you. Now the MMA community can shit on you. Because you're promising knockouts, but yet you're getting boring decisions. So now you, we can give you criticism. If you're just to say, yo, I'm just going to show them that I'm the better striker, cool. We can't say anything. <clears throat> we can't shit on you at all for that because that's what you did. You showed that you're the better striker. But if you're promising finishes and get boring decisions, then that's... If you do that, the, the fans have a right to shit on you and get mad over you for that because you're promising these things and you're not delivering on them. So that's the biggest knock for me on, on Asanya. So I don't see Anasanya finishing Pereira, I'm going to be honest with you. I think of Anasanya beast Pereira is going to be by Anasanya fashion, which for the most part, in the casual MMA standpoint, is a boring decision. I don't find it boring. I think it will be a, a technical masterclass, if you will, on striking. But I see how most casual MMA fans will find it boring. But you can't be promising knockouts and not delivering those knockouts, bro. That's how that's how that's why MMA community is mad at you. Now we have <clears throat> Leandro Lowe was shot dead unfortunately in Sao Paulo. If you don't know who he is, he is a 
he's one of the goats of jiu-jitsu. More so in gi jiu-jitsu than he is in no-gi. He was an eight-time world champion. I think he was a, a champion in five different weight divisions, which is something that's completely unheard of. And I think he was the first one to ever do it. He was still in his 30s, unfortunately, still in his prime. Now, what seemed to, to have happened in Brazil is that they're at a nightclub and someone stole a bottle, like, you know, the alcohol from his table. So he goes to pursue the guy who stole the bottle. And the dude ends up being, apparently that guy was a cop, an off-duty cop. Leandro gets shot in the head twice, I think. I think one of them was shot in the face. And unfortunately, he died. Now, the other guy is running from the law right now, that fucking piece of shit. Like, how are you a cop in doing that kind of... How are you a cop in, in stealing other people's bottles and clubs? That's complete bullshit. But he he's running he's running away from the law right now. I pray that he gets caught. But, dude, this is unfortunate, man. This is like, you know... Le, Leandro passing in the jiu-jitsu community, the BJJ community, it's like Anasanya passing in the MMA community. That's kind of like the comparison there you know so it, it's it is very unfortunate um i know that brazil has some like concealed carry laws and stuff like that that are a little different <clears throat> than we have here but dude it's unfortunate man it's just completely unfortunate especially when he really didn't do anything wrong um it, it, it's not like he was being rowdy or you know, he was acting aggressively to police or anything like that. Or, you know, he was doing shady stuff. It was that literally someone stole from him. He tried to pursue him to get his, his, his stuff back, rightfully so. He paid for it. And the other person was just a coward. But it, it, it's definitely unfortunate. We lost him way too early. Now we have Anthony Smith. He actually broke his leg bone and his ankle. Um, the doctor is saying that it's a very weird injury in regards to combat sports. It's a very rare injury in, in when it comes to combat sports. And it was a breakage that went from the bone of the leg all the way to the ankle. So I was wrong, man. I was wrong. He did break it. He broke it. He straight up broke it. I was wrong. <clears throat> the reason why I thought that maybe it wasn't broken is because he kept switching from leg to ankle. My leg's broken, my ankle's broken, my leg's broken, my ankle's broken. I'm just like, when you have something broken, you can pinpoint where it's broken at, you know? You know where it's broken, you feel it in your body. So it, it just turned out that literally a part of his leg and a part of his ankle was also broken. But it just makes it even worse that the, the Texas State Athletic Commission was letting him walk on that broken leg and ankle all the way backstage and not having on a stretcher or not carrying him out whatsoever. So it just makes the Texas State Athletic Commission look that much worse. It's a fucking joke. But yeah, he's going to be out for a while, man. It's unfortunate. Especially, you know, he's towards the later end of his career. This is going to take a while to heal. It's going to take a while to recover. Um, hopefully he's able to, to do it soon. Now, Kane pleads not guilty, including on the charges on attempted murder. And I, so when it comes to MMA Twitter, I'm constantly tweeting things out and commenting on stuff and, you know, going back and forth with the MMA community to, you know, just engage with the community as much as possible, get myself out there, get my podcast out there. And my take on this was that this was not the right call. This is not the right call, man. And here's why. 
Now, when it comes to this, Kane's attorney can tell him one thing, and Kane could do something completely else. So Kane's attorney could say, listen, we should plead guilty. We should plead our case. We should try to gain sympathy from the jury and from the judge due to the circumstances and try to lower the the uh, the charges and the, the, the years spent in prison as much as possible. I'm pretty sure, because I know people who are lawyers, I'm pretty sure that's what his attorney tried to do. Because beating this case is going to be almost impossible. Beating this case is going to be almost impossible. Because he did do attempted murder in broad daylight. He did. He shot into incoming traffic. He hit someone who was an innocent bystander. And it's just not a good look. You're not going to be able to win this case, man. Like uh, Logistically, looking at the case, unfortunately, he won't be able to win the case. And it sucks because the guy molested his child... And over a hundred times and a complete piece of shit who should be serving life in prison. That dude should not be able to get released from prison whatsoever. So it sucks that these the, it, literally this is the only circumstance that would ever lead Kane to do this kind of, kind of type of thing. And honestly, most parents would do the same, man. Most parents in that situation would do the same. But the thing is, the law is the law. And you shot into incoming traffic. You were a hazard to society and to your surrounding area. You hit technically an innocent person, which is not going to make your case any better. So he's just, I don't see him beating this case, man. From a judicial point of view, I don't see him beating this case. I think pleading guilty, gaining sympathy from the jury, which every, all the, if you don't have sympathy for Kane's situation, you're just, a sociopath because imagine if your child got molested that many times obviously you're going to have sympathy for him you're going to be outraged the same way that he was that was your child so he should have pleaded guilty in my opinion he should have gained sympathy from the jury from the judge to possibly get a lighter sentence but saying that you're not guilty and taking this to court you're not going to win man you're just not going to win it's almost an impossible it's almost an impossible uh, case to beat. But we'll see how it's going to play out. Do I hope that he beats the case? I do. I really do. But I don't know if this was the right call. But then again, technically, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not his lawyers. Maybe that was uh, the advice for his lawyers. Maybe think they really could beat it. I'm not sure. But from my knowledge, my opinion, I, I didn't think this was the best move going forward. Now, I want to get into the Petri Predictions portion of the podcast. I'm just going to be going over one fight for next week, which is UFC Vera versus Cruz, Cruz versus Vera. Um, and honestly, I'm not high on Cheeto Vera at all. I think Cheeto's overrated. I'll be honest with you. I straight up think he's overrated. I don't think he's that good. I He was completely handled by Jose Aldo. In wrestling, when Jose Aldo is not known for his wrestling. And on top of that, I think Chi was kind of a dick, bro. Like, he was talking shit to Aldo because Aldo was grappling him when in reality, bro, you're a professional fighter. You should be defending those takedowns, defending the clinch. You can't complain that 
someone else is clinching you and grappling you. It should be your job to defend it and, and exert your will over your opponent. So <clears throat> I didn't like that. And so he, he got he got completely handled by Aldo. And then when it comes to Frankie Yeager, he was losing that fight up until he got the knockout. I think he was down those two rounds of, until he got until he got the knockout. The front kick the front kick knockout to Frankie Yeager. And even then he was talking shit to Frankie Yeager too for no reason. Frankie's such a nice guy. So it's like I'm really not a fan of him. So I, when it comes to someone like a Cheeto Vera, and I think a lot of people are overlooking Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz is the goal of that division. Granted, he is past his prime, but dude, he's on a win streak right now, man. He is on a serious win streak right now. And he's still very good. The thing about Dom Cruz is that his fight IQ. His fight IQ is some of the best there is out there. His fight IQ is phenomenal. He can think and you know, he can think and solve problems in the middle of a fight on the fly. He can adjust the game plan on the fly, which most fighters can't do. And on top of that, I don't know how Cheeto is going to be able to um, deal with Dominic Cruz's footwork, speed. Dominic Cruz does have some grappling capabilities and wrestling capabilities as well. So I, I don't, I, I'm shocked that Cheeto was a favorite in this aspect, and. I think just a, I just think this the experience of Dominic Cruz is gonna pull is gonna prevail in this one, man. I just think his experience is gonna prevail in this one, um, and I just think it's because Cheeto Vera is overrated. I think he's completely overrated. So we're gonna see how this one plays out, but I have money going on Dominic Cruz. I think Dominic Cruz is gonna win this one. I think he's gonna win by decision. But there goes episode fifteen of round six MMA talk. The fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. This releases every Tuesday at 7 a.m. You can follow me on Instagram at Noah underscore A underscore Petrie or on Twitter, Noah Petrie R6. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week. And I hope you have a good week, guys. Bye.